Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today, we had an incredible nutritionist on the show, Alana Pooley, and we spoke about nutrition for women's health. Yeah, so it's such a new and taboo topic is really diving into nutrition and how it relates to females and some different strategies that you can do to, you know, navigate yourself through dieting phases and maintenance in general. So we covered some really interesting topics and it was such a great episode with Lan. She has a wealth of knowledge. This is something that we're both very passionate about and, and very vocal, not only to educate us as women and each other, but now the males as well, how to handle their clients or their partners and, and just something that we should all be comfortable really talking about. So we uncovered a lot of myths here and, and we gave a lot of key takeaway points as well that you can easily apply. Absolutely. So let's get into the show. Let's do it. It's time to level up. Lan, aka Superland, thank you so much for coming on the Level Up podcast. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a have a nice little chat. <laughs> yes, we're all about you know girl power and women uh, taking over the space, and you being such a an awesome nutritionist, but you lift and you're jacked. You know, <laughs> really practice what you preach. And, and thanks, lady. That. So <laughs> really cool. We had to have you on. And obviously I run um, into you down at Pro Raw where we Absolutely. both work a little bit as well. So even though you know so much about a lot of topics, we really wanted to just hone in on women's health and, yeah. and keep spreading the message. Sherelle, something you're so passionate about as well. So you're the perfect person to do this, I think. So thank you. Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm excited to get into it with you girls and hopefully empower some ladies out there. Hey. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And we're just saying off air, you know, there is so much information out there and it can be really hard to take it in or even take in the right stuff and make it practical to your lifestyle. So thanks again for coming on and being able to spread our message and, you know, open up the world of nutrition and what's um, what's applicable. That's it. I think, look, nutrition is one of those topics where it's either oversimplified or overcomplicated, isn't it? Like people just never seem to find the middle ground. (laughs) They go into it thinking that everything has to be done a certain way to get a certain outcome, Mm -hmm. or they go into it thinking that the only thing that matters is macros in, you know, uh, calories in versus calories out. So I think like you were saying before, it's really important to get back to understanding what's applicable to you and what's applicable to the general population. So, you know, today we'll cover a few different topics, but I'm hoping we get a chance to touch on if there's nothing wrong, don't fix it, guys. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, if you've got yes. a nice normal cycle, you're feeling great, you're happy, you're healthy, da 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 da. Let's not create problems where there are no problems. But for those of us that do have issues and things that we need to look into and fix, let's understand why and put together some practical solutions for it without being fearful of it. Fantastic. I feel like you don't actually hear that often, you know, (laughs) if there's no problem, don't try and fix it. Cause I feel like everyone's always trying to improve and, you know, our podcast level up, but sometimes leveling up is just not changing what's working. That's exactly right. You know, at the end of the day, if you're in the gym and you're growing the body part that you need to grow, we're not going to change the exercises that you do every week, just because we can, you know, hit it from a different angle, da, 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 da. Same thing goes with nutrition work on the things that actually need to improve. 
So if your hormonal health is in check, if everything's doing what it's supposed to be doing, don't go messing with it because you Mm. can actually cause imbalances as well. So sometimes we can try too hard and go down the wrong avenue and then all of a sudden we've created a problem that we didn't have before. So it's just understanding where you're at. And for a lot of women, I guess the complication kicks in because we don't always know what's normal, right? So women have a tendency to think that what's always happened is what's normal. So if they've always had dysmenorrhea or if they've always had particularly bad period pain leading into their period, so on and so forth, they think that's normal. So they think that there's no need to change it. And those are the situations where we need to get people to be a bit more aware of their body, understanding what they should be feeling throughout their cycle and therefore whether or not it's worth investigating anything else. So you two ladies, I know have both had issues with your natural cycles coming Mm -hmm. back. And it's a really interesting sort of exploration, isn't it? Because One, when you first come off the oral contraceptive pill, so I'll I'll be the first to say I was on it for 10 years when I was younger, but I haven't been on it. Well, I was on it from about 16 to 26 and I'm 36 now. So I've been off it for 10 years. The reason I came off it was because I started noticing issues with anxiety and fear and da-da-da-da. Interesting. And I didn't notice that until I was eight or nine years in, right? So we've got to be fair. We've got to understand that being on the oral contraceptive is not going to affect people the same way and at the same time. So you might be totally fine on the oral contraceptive pill for a couple of years before you start noticing any changes. The difficulty with that is we can't really pinpoint why that is. Like I've done so much research (laughs) over the Mm. years to Mm. try and figure out why we can be on exactly the same hormonal replacement for 10 years and start reacting to it completely differently Mm. down the track. There's obviously issues in terms of gut microbiome and, and that sort of jazz that will have somewhat of an impact. But you do actually see women three years into the oral contraceptive pill, just all of a sudden start coming out with all of these different hormonal issues that we then need to pull them off of the oral contraceptive to really be able to address. Because I I don't know how much you you ladies have spoken to your um, audience about what happens when we try and test you on the oral contraceptive pill. We essentially get a really whacked out reading on your bloods because we're replacing your hormones, you know, it's, it's hormone therapy same as with any other hormone therapy, when the body gets a synthetic version, it doesn't need to make those hormones anymore. So it kind of just puts everything on hold. And therefore, we're really just testing the drug that you're taking, yep. which makes it incredibly difficult for us to find out what the, 100%. what the underlying cause is. So I think, you know, for, for women who have been on contraceptive pill for a period of time and then, you know, noticing differences, not necessarily having the same positive experience that they were having when they started taking it. It's a good idea for them to think about coming off the oral contraceptive pill for a little while, sort out what's going on. If it's still your preference after you've come off the oral contraceptive, look, jump back on it. That's totally fine. It's a personal choice and it only takes a week to become effective again. So we're not talking about judgment. Yeah, only takes a week before it's uh, fully effective again, which is pretty, yeah, pretty, 
I guess it's good, bad, and otherwise it kind yeah, of tells kind of, you. Because <laughs> it takes years to, or it can take years to re-regulate back to sort of your normal levels, but then now back on it a week later, we're, we're back on. It's like, oh God. That's it. Isn't it crazy? But it gives you an idea of how quickly synthetic hormones can shut yeah. down your normal hormone production, doesn't it? You know? Mm. So the fact that one week can undo six months of work definitely you know it tells you something Mm -hmm. but again I I do want to reiterate I'm not anti-oral contraceptive I have plenty of clients that are on it and I really have no issue with people being on it they just need to understand the ins and outs of it so that they can really make good decisions but again like I said before it's when things start to change for the negative that we really want to sort of stop understand what we're doing reassess whether or not it's really the direction that we want to go down and then address it from whatever whatever you know perspective we can address it from Mm. some women are terrified to come off of the oral contraceptive because you know before they got on the oral contraceptive they were in incredible pain so the tricks that the drugs have played on them to suppress the pain suppress the symptoms now they think that the only way that they can control it is via the oral contraceptive pill so you can understand why people have this fear about coming off of it Mm. so like you girls are trying to do it's more about education getting the information out there making sure people understand that there are 101 different ways to go about it and we're going to do it in a non-judgmental way because the only way to get a real result is to give you something that you feel you can do for the rest of your life right yeah Mm. that's it yeah. Lan, I bloody love you already. I've just been sitting here absorbing it. Like, Danny, if that's like the longest I haven't gone without speaking, I don't know what is. Mate, that is, that is a record. That is a record. Sure. Oh, I, I, I knew you two would hit it off. So, um, cute I think it's because we're both country girls oh, as well. Oh. <laughs> bloody hell, it's the accent, isn't it? <laughs> I've been looking around for my pen. I'm like, I need to write notes. Um, but you said so many great things then. Like, I think, you know, attacking the low-hanging fruit is really, undervalued in a lot of nutritional stuff everyone wants to implement keto and you know all these other stuff before they're hitting a protein target do you know what I mean so it's backwards and it's so important about what you said about um you know we're not judging contraception or saying it's wrong because you know no one sort of sees the unwanted pregnancies everyone's talking about the negative effects of Mm. contraception so it's about what's appropriate for for where you're at in your lifestyle but you don't know what you don't know so if you're experiencing bad symptoms there's nothing wrong with stopping and you know for me personally I had um, I was on the pill for five years um, since I was 15 and then I had the implanon I had three of them so for three years three years and then one year and that last one was just off for me I don't know what it was about that last one but bit TMI but painful sex um, a, a bit of like anxiety about everything poor sleep gut issues just all this stuff and I was like it can only be this it's yeah, the yeah. only thing I've got um, or the only thing that I've changed and got it out bang like yeah. everything resolved within two weeks and I was just like oh. yeah you were quick yeah you, you were quick but you you're like the advocate for this stuff so I feel like you have to set the benchmark you're like yeah it came off two weeks I'm regular again and here I am fucking like 18 months later I'm like oh my god no no no, no. I wasn't regular after two weeks I didn't get oh. a period for three months about oh. two three months but I was having extreme hot flushes I was having oh, that's so right. much digestive issues like there was just all this other stuff that was happening and I couldn't tie it to anything 
else that I was doing, like nutrition was on point, like everything else was on point. Um, so when I got the implant on out, I remember we had that conversation. I went to the GP and he was like, no, 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 like leave it in. And I was like, no, 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 take it out. Like it's <laughs> my yeah. fucking decision. Why, and why you were, my you choice? Were, <laughs> yeah. And we were literally what, a month out from getting on stage or six weeks or something. And oh, God, you were yeah. so passionate about it. You're like, you're going to, I'm going to take it out. I'm like, are you sure now? And you well, did it. So yeah. well, you know like- what? The interesting thing about Implanon, I guess, do, do you reckon your um, crew, your listeners know much about the difference between the birth control methods? Have you guys haven't really that? gone into it? Nah, yeah. nah. So when we're taking oral contraceptives, we're replacing, usually there are, there are just progesterone only pills, but the vast majority of the time we're taking in an artificial progesterone and an artificial estrogen. And we're essentially just flatlining our, our, um, hormone levels so they just stay pretty much the same throughout the month and then we come on to the um the sugar pills for a week and we have a fake bleed and then we go back through it with implanon it's a little bit different because it's progestin only it's only affecting one of those hormones so it works completely differently so what i've noticed and can i please be really frank with you girls and say i have no science to back this up yet yes okay (laughs) so for what i have noticed though is with implanon i get a lot of girls that show significant signs of estrogen dominance even whilst they're on implanon Mm -hmm. which has been really interesting for me and because we're only replacing progestin it kind of makes a little bit of sense because we're not affecting estrogen the way we normally would so the exposure to xenoestrogens and um, endocrine disruptors and all that sort of jazz Mm -hmm. still can have a powerful effect on our estrogen levels. Mm. So I've been treating girls for estrogen dominance who are on Implanon, mm. which I can't really do with girls who are on the oral contraceptive because yeah. I have no way of finding out what, <laughs> what the imbalance yeah. is. So yeah. there's no really good way of going about it. So mm. what you might have experienced, Sherelle, is estrogen dominance whilst mm. on the um, Implanon. Because also with estrogen levels rising, often we see higher testosterone levels, which can in women create that anxiety and that that Mm. increased stress, you know. Mm. So there's heaps of weird, wacky things that can go on in the body, even when you're doing the vast majority of things right, you Mm. know. So and we're going to remember as well. Hormone imbalances aren't always created just via one mechanism. Mm. So say, for instance, in Sherelle's case, you might have been eating perfectly, exercising well, doing all of the right things, but because one of your hormones was being sort of naturally controlled and the other one was being synthetically controlled, you can still create an imbalance, can't you? Because Mm. there's this natural production going on over here that you have the power to affect and the non-natural version that you have no power to affect. You got no choice as to what your progesterone is going to do because it's taken that over. So estrogen dominance can occur either when estrogen is high or when progesterone is low, right? Mm. So you don't have to have high estrogen to be estrogen dominant. So there's all sorts of weird, wacky things that can go on what we want to do is sort of simplify the situation and the easiest way to simplify it is unfortunately to come off of oral contraceptives or come off of implanon or come off of IUDs, so on and so forth, because then we can see what the body's doing yeah. prior to coming off. We've got really limited information. So it's not about whether or not we're pro or anti mm-hmm. um, the pill. 
It's about, okay, what can we understand about what's going on in your body whilst you're taking a synthetic hormone and can we really make significant change whilst we're in that situation? Yeah, really well said. And I think um, it's about informed consent. It's about being aware of the drug you're about to take. And it's just a a missing part of that prescription. It's just slid over level 30. Here you go. Let's generalize that, you know, like every man and their dog. So I think, you know, perfectly what you just said, you don't know what you don't know. And that's what I went through. I was like, well, I don't know. I'm tracking everything besides my cycle because I don't have one. The same with the the implant, it's like hit or miss for a lot of people. Some people it responds really well. Others, it's like the worst thing in the world for them. Um, And I was really lucky, what I thought was lucky, right? No period, no symptoms. Yeah, you think it's the best. I remember the first summer being on the pill. I'm like, yes, I'm going to go swimming every day, not have to worry about anything. Skipping no, every period. No, I skipped it for like four months. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Something I did want to ask you about um, that yeah. you said there, Len, was about, you know, the discrepancy um, with the progesterone and progestin. Because I think people talk about progesterone um, when they're actually talking about progestin, progestin. as yeah. well. Can you just touch on the differences between those? Look, I, from a biochemical perspective, I won't go into it just because I'm not well enough educated to sort of talk about it but we are talking about synthetic versus natural right and anytime we're talking about synthetic versus natural the affinity for um synthetic forms of hormones is much much higher so we tend to in the case of you know receptor activation if we're taking a synthetic hormone in it's going to have a greater action on those receptors which means it will typically upregulate the action of that hormone mm. not always the case um you know so there are some examples where it's a almost an exact replication so insulin for instance if we're taking it in in exactly the same quantities as our body would need it we get this uh, pretty much the same response that we would get if we made it naturally but with things like progestin and even xenoestrogens and things like that they do tend to upregulate the i guess side effects of something yeah. it, it, as opposed to what the natural version would do. Is that what you were kind of going for? Yeah. 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 And as well with just estrogen that you spoke about there as well, just curious, what's your opinion (laughs) on estrogen blockers? Um, Look, I'm not, uh, in terms of estrogen blockers uh, pharmaceutically, I'm not a really big fan, right? So Mm. because I think we should be able to naturally manage these things. And usually it's got more to do with your liver function and making sure that you have, you can optimize detoxification in the body rather than trying to just put a band-aid over the problem so we can definitely use uh, natural versions though so not necessarily estrogen blockers but things that are going to help us to pull estrogen out of the body so when we look at foods for instance including foods that are high in brocoraphanin um glucosinolates you're gonna have to give examples because this yeah, is a whole yep. other language <laughs> <laughs> sorry if i go I all techie it. i love these words like they sound right? sexy but i'm like the monkey in my head's going what the fuck's that like, is that, like is that the broccoli cool? seed absolutely so wow. yeah broccoli seed extract uh, you'll get a higher dose of uh broccoraphanin in but all glucose uh, all cruciferous vegetables will contain um forms of glucosinolates so broccoli cauliflower cabbage da 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 uh, bok choy, so on and so forth. 
any of those sort of green leafy vegetables um, that are gas forming, unfortunately. That's, that's what I was thinking. A lot yeah. of people cut that those out for that because reason. Because they're gas forming. So a couple of quick mm. tricks for people who do tend to cut those out. One, if you cook them a little bit more thoroughly, you're less likely to have a reaction to them. So most people handle them better when they're cooked. Yeah. Um, secondarily, Cutting them open and leaving them out for 20 to 30 minutes before you cook them has been shown to reduce the gas forming side of it. So it's not perfect. You're still going to have some gas form because it's not like we can break every little cell of it open (laughs) when we cut it. But if we can eliminate some of the gases, we can definitely minimize the effect that it has on people. So still for the vast majority of people, around about 150 grams of those types of vegetables spread across the day, Mm -hmm. you won't get a significant reaction. Mm -hmm. But if you're going for massive amounts of it, if you're eating half a head of broccoli, particularly, you know, just chopping it up raw and having it with hummus or something, (laughs) you're probably going to have a nasty bout of gas by the end of the day. (laughs) Not ideal. They are super duper rich in these components that actually help the body to eliminate estrogen or excess estrogen, which Mm, I guess is really important for us to point out. So eating these foods, it's not going to eliminate the estrogen we need. It's not going to drag all of our estrogen out of our body. It's just going to... Exactly right. Exactly right. It's just going to help to deactivate and remove the estrogen that we don't want in our system. So I think you guys had a guest on recently talking a lot about endocrine disruptors and so on and so forth. Yeah, Gab, about cutting out the plastic. Is that the xeno? Is that xenoestrogen? Yeah, that's that's it. Your plastics and your um, exactly. So any endocrine disruptor, so chemical, um, uh, anything that you're putting on your skin or you're breathing in that's chemically based is likely to have an endocrine disruption uh, effect but Mm. some of them will be more towards your estrogen production some will be more your thyroid hormones so on and so forth but they can affect all of your endocrine organs so all of the glands in your body that produce hormones can be affected by these things Mm. so realistically when we're looking at so we'll just we'll dive into estrogen dominance because i guess it underlies a lot of things yeah <laughs> but um as well I, w- I would love to cover this is brilliant i'd also yeah. love to cover the signs of it like what yeah. can people look out for yeah really? so with estrogen dominance the first thing that you will definitely notice is painful periods right so okay. anytime that we get creating that imbalance we're going to start seeing more noticeable signs and symptoms because we're just upregulating the production of that particular hormone really, right? So increase in PMS, increase in moodiness, increase in anxiety, all of those sorts of things can be a sign that you've got some sort of imbalance going on there. Isn't Um, that interesting? Because people just expect that. And it's, it's, almost, it's normalized. Oh, yeah. it's that time of the month I'm allowed to be a bitch to someone. You know how people just say that stuff to people? <laughs> I'm Absolutely. not sure. I remember seeing some of your stories. You're like, yeah, look, it's that time of the month I'm leaving the house. I get snappy. Going for a I walk. Get <laughs> and some of that is normal, guys, right? Like I don't want to oversimplify it again. Like okay. so we are having fluctuations, right? So the yeah. first half of our cycle Whilst we're in the follicular phase, we're seeing this increase in our estrogen levels, right? So we have this tendency to feel powerful. We feel a little bit more, you know, a little bit more frisky. So that's the fun phase, isn't it? You're ready for action, but you're also strong in the gym 
it's like, oh, I'm buzzing. It's like, this is life. This it's is all how it is. Yeah, I want this all day, every day. It's so true. <laughs> then we go through our little ovulation phase of a few days and then we come out the other side and that's when our progesterone, you know, is starting to do its thing, right? So estrogen still peaks after ovulation. A few days after ovulation, estrogen still climbs again but we've also got the progesterone this time. So it's normal for us to notice differences, right? So our progesterone is going to increase our body temperature. It's going to increase our fluid retention. It's, you know, it's going to have these effects. And then we've got the estrogen effects as well. So in terms of, you know, we need people to understand what's normal and what's not, if you're getting a little bit moody and a little bit hungry because progesterone increasing our body temperature also increases, you know, the resting metabolic rate a little bit, da, 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 yeah. that's normal. That's completely normal. We don't want people to think that any sort of fluctuation <laughs> is True, a negative yeah. fluctuation. What we're sort of saying though, is anything that's more than sort of acceptable, uh, we need to address. So if you're cramped over, unable to go to work, <laughs> Don't for one second think that that is normal, guys. Like that is definitely not normal. If you're reliant on um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to function during any part of your cycle, that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Mm. People with estrogen dominance can also experience symptoms around their um, ovulation. So ovulation pains, that sort of does for a number of different reasons. Um, But when that's occurring as well, really we should be ovulating with very little knowledge that we're ovulating other than the fact that we're getting a wee bit horny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That can stay. That can definitely stay. (laughs) But the rest of it should pretty much quietly (laughs) pass us. You know, if we're experiencing ovulation pain Mm. we definitely need to look into why that's happening now when women first come off the oral contraceptive or first come off implanon it's incredibly normal for them to have a couple of really bad periods as their body normalizes back into it Sherelle's nodding she's definitely had this experience so what did you experience Gorge when you first came off (laughs) I felt like I don't know what menopause feels like but that's what I felt like I went through for like three months and it felt like I was getting my period like it was trying to come and then it wouldn't um and both Danny and I have aura rings where it tracks your core body temperature and I noticed those big changes with my core body temperature as well but I was febrile like I was like 37.5 plus going up with my or a ring around what I should have been getting my cycle. And I yeah. still get temperature fluctuations, but when I look at the trend over the past 12 months, that it's like, you know, plus 0.2, yeah. you know, like it's tiny, what it should be. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was definitely like 90 days, three months, exactly like textbook what it should have been. And then I got my period and it's been pretty regular. I did yeah. have quite a few like painful inflammatory sort of styled symptoms. And yeah. like what you said, and when we had Gabby on as well, you know, I think she put it perfectly. Like we should be feeling some form of inflammation around those Absolutely. times, yeah. but it shouldn't be like painful, excruciating. Um, That's it. Because yeah, there's I'm, still a prostaglandin response, right? Like yeah. there are still the chemical reactions that are supposed to happen in our body yes. and mm-hmm. they, they do affect little things. But when they're affecting your life, when they're affecting your ability to get up and you mm. know go to work or go see your friends, that sort of jazz, yeah. you really quickly need to notice mm. these are not normal yes. <laughs> symptoms. When 90% of the women in your life are not experiencing what you're experiencing, really start to pick up on that. Yeah. And also, 
you know, why would we let ourselves feel like that? We wouldn't yeah, let ourselves it. feel like that in anything else, would we? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah, true. Absolutely. And you did, yeah. mention, um, we, we have touched on in another episode quite deeply about removing plastics and all of that, yes. but for the yeah. nutrition side of it, yeah. so are there certain types of foods or certain foods that you should be eating at different parts of your cycle? So the, this one, this one, I'm, I have an unpopular opinion. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to say chocolate, are you? You're going <laughs> to. Oh, look, honestly, a little bit of chocolate's not going to kill anyone. Yeah. But <laughs> no, my, my opinion is consistency is better than trying to sort Good. of keep up with everything all the time. Yeah. The oh, fluctuations yeah. throughout the cycle are legitimate, right? So estrogen suppresses gluconeogenesis, which means theoretically when our estrogen is high, we could benefit from increased carbs around training, so on and so forth. Yeah. But to time it so perfectly, like to, to really get people to be able to increase their carbohydrates, but only by 25 to 40 grams yeah. for those four days and then drop mm. it back down and then increase it again and so on and so forth. Is it realistic for us to do that? Or is it mm. more realistic for us to say, get the 90% right? And then the 10% aren't going to matter a huge amount. Now, if you're super freaking in tune with your body, if you're one of those crazy people who can literally feel every part of your cycle, and I have a few clients like this, by all means, use that to adjust, right? Like if you're that good at reading your body I'm not for the record (laughs) I really I have had a natural cycle for 10 years I still can't tell you what's coming and when I just can't Um, and that's me I don't have many symptoms honestly I'm probably not trying to be super in tune with it because I don't have yeah amount of problems yeah leave it sounds great why would you worry Mm. but in terms of those people who are incredibly good at reading their body yes definitely you know if you feel like you need more carbohydrates to really be able to push in that week where Mm. you know you're aiming for a pb because you've you've planned your training out so that you can try your pb whilst your estrogen's high by all means increase your carbohydrates also, by all means, in the luteal phase, when your when your resting metabolic rate increases, there is genuine, you know, science behind increasing your calories. The problem mm-hmm. is then, how do we how do we gauge an increase in metabolism and hunger versus appetite when we know that our emotions are also affected during that period. So, uh, yep. you know, if I tell you that during your luteal phase, the increase in your metabolic output is probably only going to go up about 100 to 200 calories, what are you going to eat <laughs> that's only going to be 100 to 200 calories yep. that's actually going to satiate that appetite that you've got it's really unlikely to happen and this is where we get real markups right because people kind of go oh but I'm hungry and my metabolic rate is up so I can eat whatever I want and then Mm -hmm. they smash the block of chocolate Mm -hmm. and then we go around to the next you know the next cycle and they're like oh well why am I not progressing why am I not Mm -hmm. getting yeah because theoretically it's an extra like banana right like it's exactly yeah and if if it's like if you're not going to eat a piece of fruit like then maybe like reassess like okay well am I hungry or am I just like craving sweets because that is real like it's still real and maybe like just dieting at that sort of period of time isn't appropriate for you right now if you can't adhere to the basic principle of calories in and calories out exactly um you know the calories in is really easy to measure but the calories out is super complicated so it's probably not worth trying to dabble on that yourself even i don't adjust calories i just might take a refeed day if i need to 
from yeah. a compliance standpoint because and also I don't because <laughs> that's yeah. it and also a refeed day look how much would you increase your calories on a refeed day gorgeous one if you were to do it like 500 four five hundred yeah, so much. spread that up across the week right so that's yeah. going to work out to be around about 75 calories a day across the week if your body cannot handle a fluctuation of 75 calories a day you got much bigger problems than your menstrual cycle (laughs) so metabolic adaptation tells us that right Mm, so if our body is able to change to conserve energy it's also able to change to expend more energy over short periods of time when we're exposed to it so it's really just about being practical if you can't see yourself changing your food every three to four days to accommodate what part of your cycle you're at if Mm. that's going to reduce your compliance and if that's going to create stress and anxiety for you don't do it Mm. just just keep it simple always keep your protein nice and high that way when you do go through the luteal phase and protein synthesis is not perfect then you will have the ability to keep the muscle mass that you built during the follicular phase but other than that, really, I wouldn't be worried about it too yeah. much. Yeah. And is any of that appropriate to people that are on contraception? I get that question all the time. And apparently I'm just like, I made this diagram about training around your period. And my my response is it's probably not appropriate because you're not ovulating. It's so. null and void, gorgeous one, completely mm. null and void. Like, so um, there, there is almost zero point in doing it. Some people who are on Implanon or an IUD will still ovulate. So mm. there is still some, you know, some confusion there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and if I'm completely honest, I'd tap out of that as well because there's no really good way of tracking it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, how do we how do we track ovulation if there's not necessarily always a bleed? And how do we track yeah. ovulation if you get one one month and then none for three yeah. months and then one again? So yeah, anyone who's on oral contraceptive, definitely no point in making any changes whatsoever. Um, in terms of implanon, IUDs, those sorts of things too complicated to predict so honestly just get the basics right keep it Mm. simple stupid you know like bring it back to the basics (laughs) i feel like it'll be placebo though like people love being like this is my week where i'm gonna portion and just thinking that even if you're on contraceptive pill you'd be like yeah i hit my pbs in this week mindset so that's totally right yeah you can still sort of use that as your training cycle but don't take it so literally i suppose exactly Mm. right exactly Mm. right and go with what you feel honestly you know I am one of those people where the more pressure I put on myself to perform, the worse I perform. I get really anxious about it. And so I get in my head, da, 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 da. Mm. So if I'm planning for a PB, um, if I'm planning for a PB in the gym, just because it's the right time in my cycle, mm. I'm going to load myself up with all of this pressure and tension. Yeah. And I'm going to go in there and screw it up for a whole different reason. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, and if you're doing it down at pro roll when everyone's watching, oh. you know, you're like, Oh shit, the music goes up. Everyone stops and looks and it's oh. the best and the worst. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it, it, it makes us stronger and um, it, it helps our mindset be stronger. For sure, That's it, an audience. for sure. It's, um, There's just no option to fail. No. <laughs> Performance anxiety. Uh, 
performance anxiety. 100%. Something I would love to um, chat to you about, Lan, is um, nutritional strategies for reproductive diseases. And this is one of the reasons that, like, I'm really uber passionate about women's health is Mm -hmm. I used to work in an emergency department where women would come in losing, like, a litre of blood for their endo. And it was just normal. Like, it was just like, oh, well, we better put the marina in. And (laughs) I can tell you if a male was dropping a litre of blood like that, it wouldn't be respected like that. It was just a normal thing, like, oh, better get the heavy duty pad out and have some contraception <laughs> with that. That was literally, it was just normalized. <laughs> it was, yeah. It's seriously, um, it's a really prevalent thing. It's like yeah. people are coming for iron transfusions and, and all these extravagant things that you wouldn't even think that would occur for something like endometriosis. So, yeah. you know, what are some of the alternatives that you would encourage women to um, do with their nutrition um, if they're not wanting to go down the contraceptive path? Yeah. So of course it depends on what the hormonal imbalance is or what the what the actual um, issue is. So for endometriosis, for instance, we're talking about tissue that's supposed to be growing in the uterus that's now not growing in the uterus anymore. So it could be growing on the ovary, it could be growing on the fallopian tube. In some really bad cases, I've seen it growing on the bowel, which can cause wow. some really nasty side effects, as you can imagine. Yeah. That endometrial tissue it goes through the same process that the endometrial tissue in your womb or in your uterus goes through right so it Mm. thickens and then it sheds Mm. and unfortunately when it's doing that outside of the area that it's supposed to do it it's causing scarring and inflammation significant scarring and inflammation so one of the side effects of endometriosis is really heavy bleeding Mm. Um, other side effects are extreme pain so um, pain during sex is a really big one for Mm. a lot of people who suffer from endometriosis but depending on where that tissue has decided to bond and lodge mm-hmm. um, you can have everything from severe constipation to leaky gut syndrome so on and so forth so mm-hmm. I guess in terms of getting diagnosed for endometriosis again it's one of those things like you were saying before Sherelle where because it's being normalized people don't go for further investigation right (laughs) so um, also the investigation for endo is not a fun one right so the vast majority of things we send you off for a blood test it comes back we tell you what to do right so polycystic for instance it's not overly invasive endometriosis on the other hand really like sometimes it'll get picked up on a trans on a trans um, vaginal ultrasound but most of the time it's internal so you have to go in do a laparoscopic scope and have a look at what's in there Mm. um the problem with that is obviously you know no one's putting their hand up to have a knife shoved in their stomach (laughs) is that how it works Mm. so yeah they have to make a small incision go in do a scope if they go in there and find tissue sometimes if it's a small amount of tissue sometimes i believe and sherelle probably knows this better than me they'll take it out whilst they're in there whilst they're just doing the scope if it's a larger amount of tissue though they have to go back in and they'll have to remove the tissue either via burning it off or cutting it off so again it's this really invasive procedure to just find out whether or not you've got it so people are more hesitant to go and get the testing done i think there is an antibody that they can test for but it's so hit and miss and honestly unless you're having a flare up the antibody is probably not going to come up in high levels so it's a bit of a tricky one Mm. so in terms of endometriosis 
it's a it's an estrogen sensitive disease right so when estrogen fluctuates that's when we get our symptoms really so (laughs) when we talk about um endometriosis we've got all the normal symptoms but then we've also got the sort of add-on effect of if there's estrogen dominance it's all going to be exacerbated it's all going to be doubled up and all of the symptoms are going to get worse Mm. so depending on the person we either treat it as an inflammatory disorder so if they're not getting a huge amount of symptoms they're not or they've recently had um they've recently had the tissue removed then we would treat it as an inflammatory disorder so we just pump them full of anti-inflammatory foods remove anything that we would consider as potentially pro-inflammatory or anything that they're sensitive to any trigger foods we would remove so probably the that be like what some of the inflammatory foods be so the the interesting thing so i'm gonna i'm gonna cover my little tushy here and say (laughs) (laughs) inflammatory foods are dependent right so what's inflammatory for you is not going to be what's inflammatory for me and so on and so forth I'm a big believer in evolution being a big part of that right so if Mm -hmm. I grew up in it or if my family my grandparents my great-grandparents grew up in areas where all we did was look face it I'm as English Irish as they get (laughs) Uh, so we're meat and three veg kind of people right so we have heaps of exposure to meat potatoes, um, milk, da-da-da-da-da, we're probably going to do okay with exposure to those sorts of things. If you come from a Mediterranean background, however, you're probably going to do better with fish, good quality Mm. oils, salads, da-da-da-da. So we've got to understand that we can't sort of outrun our genetics. They're in there and we just have to work with them. So there's my cover statement for why not. (laughs) (laughs) You dodged the bullet. (laughs) (laughs) but in terms of treatment for um, endometriosis there are some typical triggers that we go to to pull out and I do this regardless of the patient right okay so typically we'll minimize red meat not necessarily completely eliminate it because they do tend to have issues with iron so Mm -hmm. we've got to be you know Mm. a bit careful about that one Mm. but minimizing it because it can have a pro-inflammatory response Gluten is a big trigger for a lot of people in terms of inflammation. Having said that, if you process gluten really well, don't worry about it. Ignore me. Move on. Um, (laughs) uh, Dairy is another possible trigger for for a lot of people. And even nightshade vegetables can be a trigger for quite a substantial Mm. number of people with endometriosis. So it's really just about, look, my treatment style is pull them all out first and then reintroduce them one at a time once the yep. client is symptom mm-hmm. free. That way we can see what actually triggers a symptom and what doesn't and get yep. them back to normality. Because we never want to leave people in a position where they have to suffer just to be symptom free, right? Like yeah. if we can give them some of their normality back, we're always going to aim to do that. Mm-hmm. So really that's sort of the situation. The other one that we definitely have to be really cautious of with endometriosis is caffeine. I knew caffeine that was coming. Yeah. It's a huge trigger for girls yeah. with endo. I'm sure I was holding up her coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be having mine after this. <laughs> uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like everyone should limit it, even though it's so hard. Like, Mm. limiting caffeine is important for your central nervous system right Mm, so we want our adrenals to be healthy and we're already screwing them up with everything else that we do yeah look at our lifestyle (laughs) yeah what what our 
<laughs> what we expect from our bodies these days is insane, isn't yeah. it? Like yeah. you girls are similar to me. How many days a week would you girls train? Oh, uh, but four. I'm yeah, okay about five. But when I'm not training, I'm working I'm on the laptop. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking. I'm yeah. It's just stress. So ninety, like ninety percent of the time, we're putting ourselves in stressful environments. We're putting yeah. ourselves in positions where you know we're we're the type of people that thrive off of that. We get excited by yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. But our bodies don't necessarily feel the same way. So yeah. we have this system where we've got sort of underlying chronic inflammation, underlying chronic stress, da 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 da, that we're not really dealing with. Yeah. If we add caffeine into the mix, if we're doing it in small amounts, like. Whenever I do, every sort of six months to a year, I go back and I have a look at the new data that's come out about caffeine, hoping that it's yeah. going to tell me that I can have, have as much as I like. And pretty much every time I go into it, the upper limit is around about yeah. 300 milligrams. Yeah. So anytime anyone's exposing themselves to more than 300 milligrams of caffeine a day, the risk just starts to really increase. How many, um, so, how many cups would that be? So the vast majority of, and so coffee does vary. So it could be 80 to 120 milligrams per a standard shot, for instance, depending Two on the three beans. cups a day. Use. Exactly. Oh, that's so, pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Hey? That's all but right. remember, we're talking single One. shots. Single <laughs> I just keep pressing the coffee machine that I have at home until the cup's full. So actually, that, I just realized that that's not a shot. <laughs> Probably not hugely more than a shot, though, gorgeous yeah. one, because you're just the pushing pond. the same water through. Yes, okay, because that's what I was telling yeah. myself. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You say you're good. No, no, no. Yeah. I put a new pot in each time, yeah. though. <laughs> Different story on that one. We won't get started on all of the bang energy drinks and all of that. Um, That's it. So, yeah, that that overexposure will definitely take its toll on the central nervous system. And anytime we're pushing our central nervous system really hard, you know, we're definitely going to favour the stress responses over the whole rest and digest system, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. So. We're yeah. definitely compromising our recovery, compromising our sleep, da 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 da, just yeah. for the sake of a little pump up that's probably only going to last us for about 30 to 60 minutes before it falls off. That's so, why you have another one. <laughs> no. I know. But this yes. is Danny's clear solution. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's what I had to stop doing uh, yeah. to get my period regular, really. Absolutely. Because I, when I was on the pill, I didn't have any symptoms that were yeah. irregular in my eyes. Like I, nothing was noticeable. But then when I came off, I I was able to recognize how highly wound I was. So dialing back on all of that, that was the the takeaway to be able to just uh, get my period regular again. Completely. And particularly leading into your period, um, pulling back on caffeine is a good idea for most people. Yeah, yeah, pre and during, definitely pull back on it a little bit. You can introduce things like dandelion tea, which will have a a beneficial effect in terms of dandelion tea is going to help with liver function. But Mm. on top of that, it's a mild diuretic. So that Mm. water retention that makes us feel horrible during that period. That's good to know, actually. Dandelion (laughs) tea. So twice a day Mm. is usually what I'd recommend. And it's Mm. good replacement because then at least you've got a hot drink. Yeah. So half of it is habit. Half of what we do is go to the coffee machine because it's a social thing or go to it because we want a break from whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, it's coffee time now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And it definitely helps. 
That's it. Yeah. Exactly right. So yeah, um, from an endometrial perspective, look, the, the anti-inflammatory work is probably the first go-to point. Mm. Then if we see signs of um, estrogen dominance, or if we send them off for testing and it comes back that they've got estrogen dominance, then we would go through all of the things that um, you were talking about earlier in terms of getting people to only drink out of um, metal bottles, um, getting people to keep everything in glass containers, making sure that they drink filtered water, Um, even with in terms of vegetables and fruits with people with endometriosis, I tend to get them to peel everything just to get rid of as much um, toxic overload as they possibly Mm. can, because anything that can be peeled, most of the toxins that have been put onto the plant will be removed by peeling it. Yeah. You can thoroughly clean it as well, but that takes a whole lot longer. So yeah, we don't have time for that. It's peeled and, and be done. So the downside, obviously, is we lose some of the fiber and we lose some of the prebiotics when we do that. So you might have to do some work on gut health to balance mm. it out. But at the same time, you know, it's it's worth it if it's going to reduce your exposure. So mm. you've got all of these little things. And the truth is in endometriosis, it is as much about what you don't do as it is what you do do. Mm. So, <laughs> yes, we want to be including those foods that help with estrogen detoxification, like the broccoli and da 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 that we were talking about before. Um, but it's the things that we remove that probably have the most significant impact in endometriosis. Yep. Cool. Then including things like good quality oils, anti-inflammatory um, nutrients, things like fish mm. oils, even adding in magnesium on a more regular basis or at higher doses yep. can definitely help with that inflammatory response and just easing off the, um, the symptomatic side of things. So even... In terms of muscle and nerve relaxation, magnesium's your go-to every time. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. Just swear by it. You can tell when you don't take it for a while. My body just feels cramped, like tense. tense. Absolutely. Yeah. And your your sleep suffers. Everything suffers. Like yeah. magnesium is involved in over three hundred enzymatic um, reactions Whoa. in the human body. Mm, so it's go. kind of powerful, and it's a delivery system for energy as well. So when mm. we don't have adequate magnesium, everything suffers. Much like yep. water, right? Yep. Like yep. there's certain nutrients that we take into the human body that have the power to affect us far more than we think that they do and Mm. magnesium water those sorts of things they have such a massive impact for such a minor outlay yeah it's just like get on it (laughs) get on it get on it Whenever anyone asks about supplements, it's like just go to the ones that are highly backed by research, that are cheap, efficient, and do the job. That's Um, it. Mm -hmm. I was reading a paper and they were talking about like the use of um, anti-inflammatory drugs like your Nurofen um, in comparison to fish oil tablets for painful periods and cramps. And they reported that the fish oil and the inclusion of more anti-inflammatory foods around that time had a greater effect than dosing. More beneficial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what a win. Um, because and I they're think, not going to screw up your gut. And they're yeah, not going to screw up your gut. And less drugs, the better. But, yeah. you know, it is around, like what you said, the things that we don't do, you know, binging on the big tub of ice cream or ingesting all this gluten around a time that your body needs anti-inflammatory properties exactly. is probably going to yeah. exacerbate any issues. But we do it. We're like, oh, you know, I'm craving <laughs> chocolate. I, I normally am gluten-free, but now I'm going to binge on that. And then we have yeah. painful periods. So That's it goes hand in hand. It definitely does, gorgeous one. And we can't eliminate that aspect of emotion, right? That aspect Mm. of emotion will always be there. Mm. We want to slowly try and desensitize people to it, though, get people to understand the difference between hunger and appetite. Because hunger is the need to eat. 
appetite is the desire to eat. I don't know about you guys, but have you have you ever been to Mr. Nice Guys in Ascot Vale? No. Oh my what God. is Look that? around the corner. What is oh, this? Oh, Sherelle, oh. you're laughing now. <laughs> All right. So Mr. Nice Guys is a vegan bakery. I'm not vegan oh, no. by any Ooh. stretch of the imagination, but they make the best cinnamon scrolls you've ever had oh, in your life. Yum. And you walk past and you can just smell it. Like you don't even have to go in. You get oh. just and immediately my mouth starts to water. And that, this is the thing. I know I'm not hungry. I probably just ate. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have an appetite for it because there's a desire there's an excitement right so we need to start to learn the difference between the two and this is why intuitive eating doesn't work for most people right at the end of the day intuitive eating relies on the fact that you can listen to the body's cues and we're pretty shit at it (laughs) yeah the vast majority of us are pretty average at it so if you aren't able to tell when you're hungry versus when you're you just have a strong appetite then that's definitely not a strategy that's yeah. gonna work for you yeah. so yeah. it's it's we will never have no emotional relationship with food i think mm. it's unrealistic to think that we'll ever get to a point where we don't have some sort of emotional relationship with mm. food what we do get to is a better relationship with food, a relationship yep. Yep. with food where 90% of the time we can make the right choices for the right reasons. And then 10% of the time we make poor choices, but that's okay because we've done all the hard work in that 90%. Yeah, 90%. And that'll cover us. Yeah. yeah. 100%, yeah. And in an ideal world, you know, calories would replicate um, the, the, or I guess our appetite towards that food. So something of high calories would satiate us, but that's just not the way that food marketing um, and, you know, production of, of satiating food works these days because exactly. we're in a calorie abundance and we're never going yeah. to be out calorie. You can eat like a Snickers for like what you could for a whole hearty roast. Exactly. So, it's just understanding Crazy. that as well and being like, we don't ever want to remove that emotion. Like it's good to go out and enjoy food and it's culture and we yep. enjoy taste and, and different um, consistencies. But again, it is about being like, you know, a little bit of what you want, mostly what you need. It's okay to, it. to, to treat yourself from time to time, but like listen, tune into your body and like chew your food properly and try and develop that skill because it really That's is it. a skill. It is, and it takes a long term to, time to develop, right? Yeah. And there's also mindset um, changes based on what your goals are, right? Yeah. So when you're competing, it's a lot easier to switch off those oh, thoughts yeah. about your food because you've got an end game, right? Like yeah. you've got to get up there. And oh, you're shit, gonna, yeah. The consequence is too big. Yeah, the consequence is too big. That's it. So, mm. you know, that adherence naturally will go up, even though the desire is probably actually more because, you know, you're getting these massive drops in your leptin response, your satiety mm. is down, your body fat is down, da, da, da. So you've got all of this desire for the food, but because you've got this end game that's far more important, you're able to switch that off and you're able yeah. to switch that off because it's really about the overall goal rather than that instant gratification and that's I guess another big thing that we need to learn the problem is when people don't have a goal or when people don't have something that they're aiming for it's very easy to get lost of course which I think you know um, during COVID during this whole lockdown period I think that's been an issue for a lot of people they don't have anything to aim for at the moment because there's so much unknown or so many things that are just so unsure 
that they're giving in to things that give them that instant gratification because we need that serotonin response. We need that Guilty. dopamine response. Guilty. Oh, all of us, babe, the honestly. Ice cream. It's not food, it's on <laughs> something yeah, else. So. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, we're just That's going true. to these things to give us that immediate gratification because we don't have anything to, to push for. So yeah. I think that it just reinforces how important goals are. And they don't mm. have to be a comp. They don't have to be no. you know, anything massive. But setting small goals, whether it's a drop in body fat percentage, circumference measurements, da, 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 they can keep you really focused and really on track. Yeah, yeah. great. Mm. Yep. Um, in terms of, you know, there's so much that we want to ask you on, but we're really cautious for time. I feel like we could have a four-hour episode with you. Um, but because you you did mention intuitive eating um, probably isn't the right thing for most people, then yeah. how do you go about things? Are you into if it fits your macros or meal plans or clean it? Like what's your yeah. way, your method? So initially I put everyone on a meal plan. Um, yep. The reason I put everyone on a meal plan initially is because it gives me control over what's going in. And if I'm honest, I don't usually get normal. Okay. <laughs> so I think after 15 years in the industry, I'm the girl you go to when something else hasn't worked. So when there's yeah. something wrong or something hasn't worked, I'm the person that you end up with so I do have a cluster of really easy clients who come in and it's you know calories in calories out (laughs) but probably 90% of my patients are either performance um, or have other issues that I need to deal with so um, uh, FODMAP sensitivities uh, gut problems yeah could be any number of things so in my you know in my space it's much easier for me to take full control because then I can deliver the result that they're after in a shorter period of time. Once I've done that though, that's when we can talk about flexibility. So once I get you symptom free and I can reintroduce all of these foods and get your body functioning the way it should, or once I've corrected the hormonal imbalances, whether it be estrogen dominance, insulin resistance, so on and so forth, and reintroduce the foods, then it's a lot easier to manage with an if it be two macros approach. That's when I think it's appropriate to sort of give the person an option. However, the vast majority of my clients (laughs) prefer to stay on meal plans, mostly because it's less thinking, I think. Like they, Mm. they don't have to track everything. So there's less of an emotional relationship with what they're putting in their mouth. Yeah. but one of the methods that I've been using more recently that I really like, and I hope more of my clients will go for, is Monday to Friday, I have control. Saturday, Sunday, they follow if it fits your macros, just so that Ooh. they can really have that exploration. It also teaches them a little bit more about what, what has what in it. So a yep. lot of people, you yeah. know, because they're reliant on me giving them their plan, they don't do a whole heap of investigation mm. in how many calories is this, how many calories is that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so having that if it macros on the weekend allows them to explore that side of it. But I can get all of these beautifully nutrient dense foods into them Monday to Friday yeah. that are going to benefit their issues. And then they can go have that freedom on the weekend and not really undo it. You know, they're not going to cause any significant damage over that period of time. Yeah. So it's, it's really about balance, I think. Mm. Like I said before, the only reason I'm not a massive advocate for, for um, mindful eating is we just don't read our body cues very no. well for the vast majority. No, no, we wouldn't the, know. 
Steffi Cohen actually did a good bit on it a while ago and she she always refers to it as earning the right. You've got to earn yep. the right to eat mindfully because yeah. until you get to a point where you can really listen to your body, understand the fluctuations that are going on, acknowledge, you know, if your scale weight is going up, you're eating too much too if you've got all this maintenance. Like, yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, so it works. That's it. If you if you can genuinely have a positive relationship with that, then mindful eating mm. might be for you. If you can't, don't try and force it. Stick with yeah. it if it fits your macros. Don't be don't be too stringent. Like I'm I'm going to say something very unpopular now. Okay, bring it. You can't calculate exact macros, right? Yeah. It's it's physically impossible to calculate yeah. exact macros. So getting fixated on small fluctuations day to day is pointless. Yeah. If you are one of those people out there that believes that every gram of carbohydrates is four calories, every gram of fats is nine calories, every gram of protein is four calories, I'm going to burst your bubble and tell you they're not. Yeah. <laughs> they, they vary a little bit either side. So mm. realistically, by the end of the day, you could be 100 calories under or 100 calories over just by the misestimation because mm. things like MyFitnessPal are going to assume that that's four calories, that's four calories, that's nine calories. Yeah. So nothing about it is 100% accurate other mm. than the change, right? So yeah. the only thing that is accurate about tracking is – if you're consistent with how you track, the differences will be consistent and that's how it works. Yep. So just don't get too fixated on the numbers. Don't get too yep. fixated on the little things that you can't control. And Danny hears me say this all the time, mm. control the controllable. Control yeah. the controllables. That's it. Yeah. And that yeah. goes with anything though, like without yeah. trying to overcomplicate it, just consistency. Because you can it. do your head in on this stuff. Yeah. Like it can and be I full think- on. I think we've spoken about this heaps and heaps of times about not getting so overwhelmed by those nitty gritty numbers. And, you know, even like when we spoke about Danny, like, for example, I don't track the handful of spinach in my omelet in the morning. because I know it's like three calories. <laughs> I've earned the right to know that. Yeah. So if you don't know that that is, you know, zero calories or like whatever it is, you don't have the right to sort of do that. So you do it for a period of time and then you can earn it, but yeah, build what, habits first and then build habits first. Yeah. And being like inconsistent, consistent consistently is a form of consistency as well Absolutely. so yeah you know, if you're always doing a teaspoon right that's a teaspoon for you yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. how many grams it is if if you always pan fry your chicken and then weigh it then you always pan fry your chicken and then weigh it so yeah, exactly. just do what works for you and don't get too fixated on what everyone else is doing because hitting your macros is actually the wrong terminology yeah it's like no one hits it you get the no. odd client that gets zero 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 but it's like even if i dabble through your fruit diary i bet you there's no, don't take totally it away take from that. Them, yeah. mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you, Shirelle. I yeah. do the same thing. <laughs> but it's yeah. true. Like getting fixated on the little things increases our stress response. Increasing our stress response is going to have a negative impact on our there body you go. and sleep. Does it's it a lose, lose. lose. So that's it. Just give yourself a little bit of leeway where you know it's not going to do anything detrimental. And can I please also say, if you're not a competitor, you're not a competitor. Don't eat like mm. one, right? Like don't mm. force yourself to eat like the people who are getting on stage because you girls will be the first to say, you don't eat like that in your off season, do you? Oh, oh no. Hell no. Hell no. So, no. There's, this, there's this really weird um, connotation to, to comp 
where people think that that's how you guys eat all year round and that you'll yeah. never have any leeway and da da da. And even when you post a, a photo of yourself out at a cafe or a restaurant, they'll be like, oh, yeah, she didn't eat that. <laughs> no, no, you see, yeah, someone holding just, a big donut or something. It's like, yeah. Just for the gram, you know, all that Just for the gram. And that's, <laughs> that's why we're so nuts. passionate about talking about this. That's why we're so, I was so open with saying no my cycle disappeared when I was competing and now my priority is to put on body fat slow down and get it back like Sherelle's open with everything like we're all very transparent and and that's Mm. our mission to keep educating not only women but men as well like we have a few listeners a small minority of them but they want (laughs) to learn for their partner or their clients and um, that's what we can keep doing being honest and saying the things that you see on Instagram is just not realistic no Um, that's it you know what I'm loving at the moment um so I don't officially do mentoring I've mentored a few people over the years just by you know crossing paths and you know (laughs) working together but I've never officially mentored anyone the last three people who've reached out to me for mentoring were all males in the bodybuilding industry who wanted to learn better how to stop their female clients from having the negative side effects that's awesome that's Yeah, maybe it's a new pathway for you to consider once you're less busy. I'm (laughs) sure uh, a few people have been gone in your ear about that. Yeah, Yeah. seriously, it's really big. I get heaps of messages from boyfriends being like, how do I support my partner through this? Or even when it comes to reproductive stuff, like they just want to know more or even like support their own clients and things like that. So it is a really good avenue. And I think it's great that guys are becoming more aware and transparent about it. It's so beautiful. Like you just don't expect it. You know, there's, there's this whole connotation of uh, men just sort of keep to themselves, get their job done and stay out of it. Um, But they are really, you know, wanting to be informed is a really cool thing wanting to be informed about the things that you can't possibly understand for yourself yeah (laughs) yeah, it's really really cool well it's hard enough for us women to understand about ourselves so why would they even try it's like no (laughs) you can do sort that out but now it's slowly changing and that's um, it through platforms like this and and honesty and yeah that's what it's about that's it Mm. but that's i look honestly girls that's what's gonna keep you guys going for a very long time you are very transparent Danny, one of the things that you did that kind of blew me away, and this is, you know, I feel like I'm playing suck up here. Uh, give it <laughs> to me. I'm ready. No, you, you jumped on, um, you, you had just done the, uh, the topic with, you know, fixing your cycle, da, 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 and yeah. then you went for injectables. And everyone oh, jumped right. on you. Everyone it. jumped on you. And I love that what you did in return was say, look, this is my choice. I made this choice knowing exactly what the risks and rewards were. Yeah. And that's it. I'm going to yeah. own it. And that's, that's all it, it is. Yeah. It's not about saying everyone has to do everything perfectly all the time because it's just not realistic, guys. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you're out, if I've prescribed an endo plan for you, and you're out and you don't have your glass water bottle on you, I would much rather you go to Coles, buy a cheap plastic water bottle and drink the water yep. than be dehydrated. Exactly. It's all Thank about you. balance. It's understanding that if you do the work most of the time, those little things aren't going to creep in and screw it all up for you guys. Yeah. You're not yep. going to take this massive leap backwards just because you made one decision that wasn't yeah. perfect, right? Yeah. I've been a nutritionist for 15 years. I've done some really silly things in those 15 years because I'm one of those weird nutritionists that's like, I won't try it on my client unless I try it on me first. I like that. I've done 
I've done keto, I've done, <laughs> I've done intermittent fasting, I've done them all, I've tried mm. them all because you need to experience them to be able to explain them properly to the client. Understanding yep. what keto flu feels like is, you know, important. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you <laughs> actually so, get a keto flu, do you? Uh, yeah, keto flu is a bit nasty. So keto flu is, it, it does actually feel like a normal flu and it's God. just your body switching mechanisms, right? So it's your body running out of glucose and sort of switching to these ketone bodies. But you do go through this period where you have to adapt to that mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And the problem is every time you come out of keto, you have to go back into it. So God. you're at risk of having that keto flu every time. Mm. So I tried for for a little while, I tried to coin a, a, um, a system called cyclic ketosis, okay. which is sort of like putting you into ketosis for one to two weeks and then pulling you out of it and then putting you back into it and pulling you out of it. Because there are a number of people who actually feel better on keto, which is mm. kind of great. But at the same time, it comes with some significant issues with gut health. <laughs> oh, really? So oh, I was trying yeah. to play around with a way of making it the best of both worlds. Reality is, like most things, when you try and play around with a system like that, you always come back to recognizing mm. that simple is best. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that. Simple back is that best. Keep it simple. Yeah. And what you said there, I think it's um really important. Like, you know, I've tried every diet under the sun as well, yeah. and I've just come back to balanced eating. Like, and oh, it's all oh, mind blown. Like, oh, no. <laughs> They didn't have all like, this when, like back in evolutionary times, yeah, really, no. they, they didn't have all that. This. And metabolic disorders didn't exist back yeah. in evolutionary times. Shock horror. Yeah. Mm. So it's such a bizarre con- uh, coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We. This is where it comes back to, like what we said right at the start of the episode, we either overcomplicate it or oversimplify it. We need to find that middle ground. You know, yep. the middle ground was found for us when we were hunter gatherers because yep. it was whatever was available we could eat. Now mm. we have overexposure to anything and everything, and we have overexposure to information, but the information isn't sorted for us, right? So yeah. the good information is mixed in with the bad information. The yeah. scientific information is mixed in with the completely made up bull crap. <laughs> Trying to sell a product, <laughs> yeah. bikini on the beach holding something. Yeah. Exactly right. And you know what? At the end of the day, most of the people selling those products don't even take them themselves. Yeah, so that's really. That's, that's why I asked about the, the estrogen blockers and the fat burners and like all this yeah. BS that you see on the gram. Like just keep it simple. Whole foods are the backbone of everything. And if that's it's working, it. you don't need to change anything. Like exactly. just stick to something for a consistent period of time and stop chopping and changing your macros and doing all this stuff and trying this and like try things but then go back to what works that's actually a really good point can i touch on that for a second if you're changing things all the time your coach is shit right like if you if you have to change (laughs) what you're eating every week to get a result yeah you're you're not working with the right person or you're not well educated yeah seriously you have to be consistent for a period of time to see any benefit the first week that you're on any diet whether it's a calorie deficit a calorie surplus your body has to go through a bit of adaptation right so it's Mm -hmm. kind of figuring out what it's doing with this yada 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 yeah so you're gonna see fluctuations you know you might go into a calorie deficit but because you've gone into a calorie deficit and you're eating a lower volume of food you're taking in less water and 
okay, now you've got water retention, mm. <laughs> right? So the scale weight's not moving. You're wondering what the hell's going on. And then you notice, oh, crap, I've only been drinking this much water and I've only been getting this much water in my food. Maybe if I up my water, da, 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 da. Yeah. But we don't think critically in these situations. In mm. these situations, we always look for the why it's not. We always just blame it on it's not working. We don't mm. look for why it's not working. Yeah. Yep. So I think consistency is key. Think about your training, honestly. Mm. Would you change your training every single week? No, no. exactly. And that's what we preach. It's the same home. Yeah, because yeah. you just mm. can't progress in that style, in that manner. You just can't progress. It's that simple. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up, Sherelle. That's a really important point to touch on. <laughs> yeah, I think it is as well. Like when people go into a deficit, you know, they'll freak out after a week if things haven't happened. And I always, all the same as when you're building someone's calories up and I'll say to them, you know, there's this period, it's like a settling period. You yeah. need to give your body a couple of weeks to like adjust and then mm. we change things. Like we're not going to cut and then cut and then cut. No way know where to go you've got to give your body that settling period that's if we're it. doing daily weights you know we need to look at the trend not yes. respond just after five days that's it absolutely yeah adaptation is inbuilt right like mm-hmm. the human body likes homeostasis in everything the human body is not a fan of change that's why no. you know when our temperature goes up a little bit we're in bed with the fever when our ph yep. changes we're dead and gone now yeah. <laughs> there's really there's no good way um, for the body to be out of balance so the human body all it's doing all the time is trying to bring everything back into balance it's chasing mm. equilibrium from dehydration you know the mechanisms of action to bring everything back into check to our hormones to muscle mass to everything everything is chasing equilibrium yeah. so anytime we're trying to make a big change we're fighting against the body right so when we're trying to put on muscle mass when we're trying to lose body fat da, 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 we're trying to change the equilibrium we're trying to get the body to do something it doesn't necessarily want to do so you've got to give it a minute give it a yeah. minute to yep. figure out what it's doing to get the results out of it and then make educated decisions about yep. what you're going to do to take that to the next step so mm. it's just patience isn't it yeah mm. your body leaves clues as well and in mm. order to find those clues you have to be patient and slow down and, <laughs> and tune into your body it's easier said than done but the body leaves clues like we've it been definitely. on this earth for, for thousands of years or whatever it is but um mm. yeah so that's it the body knows completely, yeah. completely. a healthy a healthy body will do what it's supposed to as well exactly. and i think that's what people get confused about it's like, you know, everyone just harps on about trust the process. It's sort yeah. of so cliche, but it's so true. Like yeah. if you're in a good state, yeah. like, and you're in a calorie deficit, like just be patient and just wait. Sometimes results won't happen as quickly as you want. It doesn't mean that they're not happening. Progress is still progress. And sometimes you shouldn't be in a deficit, right? Like yeah. sometimes well, yeah. it's just not the right time. <laughs> yeah. Like, if yeah. you're stressed out of your mind and you're contemplating whether or not you should do a comp, don't do it. No. You, your body's not it. going to reflect all your hard work. If you're if you're not in a good place, just don't do it. Because again, the body is going to try and keep you in a favorable favorable position for itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a reason that systems shut off when we get too lean, right? Yeah. We just don't yeah. have enough to spare. So the body is like, all right, what's urgent and what's important? Yeah. All right. It's urgent that my heart beats. It's urgent that my kidney works. Da, 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 da. Not so urgent that I reproduce. So that can go in the important pile and we'll deal with that later. So yeah. amenorrhea comes in and this is what we're dealing with. 
So realistically, pick your times, be smart about it and don't be putting yourself into a deficit nine months of the year. You know, mm. you've got to be smart about it. You've got to pull yourself out of it for long enough that your body can do what it needs to do so that when you do go back into a deficit again, your body can cope with it. The stress mm. responses, so on and so forth, aren't so bad that you don't actually get any improvement. Yeah, it's well, a really good point. Yeah. There you go. Well, we've covered a lot. Again, I, I <laughs> feel like we can talk so much, I but I think we might have to get you on another time maybe for this one. But, uh, Easy. You know, the same underlying factors, you know, just keeping it simple and don't fix what's not broken, as you said. And, yeah, no, That's you covered it. some really good points with some key takeaways, which I always love. Like <laughs> I'm going to go cut some broccoli in half and leave it out for half yeah. an hour and then yeah. cook it and then eat it. It's a funny one, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. just making sure to cook it thoroughly if you're going to get if you're going to get bloated. Yeah, <laughs> cook that stuff thoroughly. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much, Len, for coming on. Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? I'm terrible. I, I'm not <laughs> anywhere. Um, no, I am on Instagram, just at superland13 on Instagram. I am on uh, Facebook at, at Land Pooley, but you'll find me on the Pro Raw website and the Full Fitment website as well. Fantastic. Hit me up. I'm not taking on new clients at the moment, but I'm always keen to make new friends. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Superlan, you legend. That was awesome. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on, girls. It's been great fun. And I will see you down at Pro Raw. And Sherelle, yeah. I'm going to have to meet you face to face one of these days. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> You'll get the meeting. cinnamon scrolls down in Ascot Vale <laughs> yeah. together. I'll meet Mate. you down there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be meaning to, to um, tee Danny up to do a session at Pro Raw in the future. Yeah, so I'll done. definitely have to come down but thank you again for coming on land it's really good to be able to you know break through some of the bs that's out there in the world and give some practical advice that's going to benefit everyone so um girls and guys if you did take anything from this episode please do take a screenshot tag myself tag danielle and of course land and of course the level up podcast <laughs> and we'll see you all next week thanks everyone thanks land thanks guys <laughs>